Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We're a podcast devoted to founders and entrepreneurs and startups and also VCs, angels, family offices, and investment firms. We're on all the major platforms for podcasts, including Apple, Audible, Amazon, and those that do not begin with the letter A. And we're also on YouTube, um, so you can see what we actually look like if that if that matters. And uh, we know that it doesn't matter because what we're saying is what matters. And um, I want to um, welcome to uh, the podcast, Jennifer Eden from Tampon Tribe. Did I get that right? Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you very much, yeah. Michael. Yes, correct. And, and you are a co-founder, is that right? That's right. Yes, I'm the co-founder uh, with my business partner, Gabby Alves. And uh, we've actually been working together for 15 years. So, yeah. And how did you meet? How did that all get started? Yeah, we were actually um, both in Beijing in China and um, I was working in broadcasting and uh, marketing and Gabby had a, a great restaurant business and we teamed up. I was doing the marketing for her business. And as that partnership became successful, she ended up selling that restaurant opening more and we became more of a team with the following businesses. So yeah, we've uh, uh, earned our stripes on the ground, put it that way. Yeah. So uh, you owe it all to Chinese food. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your favorite dish of your partners? What is your favorite dish that your partner well, used to well, make? We we didn't have Chinese restaurants, actually. Um, Gabby's Brazilian. So we had our fine oh. dining contemporary contemporary cuisine um restaurants so uh, yeah we had yeah right so uh, well beijing has a huge gastronomy scene so yeah so brazilian food in in china that's what that's what brought you together kind of yeah contemporary food yes <laughs> but of course you're you're from australia you're coming to us now from los angeles but based in in santa monica so um, I'm going to let you, if you could, in a sentence, describe what um, Tampon Tribe does. And, um, um, and I, I know our audience will find it very interesting and very promising. So, yeah, what do you do in a sentence? How would you put it? Sure. So with Tampon Tribe, we do 100% certified organic cotton and plastic-free period products. So we started out with the mission to eliminate all poisons from period products and also all plastics. And that's what we're all about. And why is that important? Why does that matter? Sure. In, in twofold. So uh, from the organic point of view, it's really important, in our opinion, to have no poisons or toxins and um, any products that you put on or in your body, particularly in a very vulnerable and sensitive mm -hmm. spot. And it actually can have a huge impact when it comes to people suffering from endometriosis or anything to do with hormones or the endocrine system. And, and that's how I came into it myself after having endometriosis and after searching for an alternative to really toxin-filled products that were on our shelves. And when mm -hmm. we couldn't find any, we thought that we would, uh, you know, start about creating our own that are totally toxin-free. And at the same time, you know, the sustainability revolution was right there in front of us. So sure. uh, we thought, let's do it. Let's eliminate plastics as well. You know, particularly tampon applicators and wraps on pads have the shortest uh, use life of any single-use plastic on the planet. So we thought, let's put oh, those two right? missions together. Yeah, yeah. So huge, billions of billions and billions of uh, period plastic period products um, 
applicators and wraps end up in landfills every year. So we were fortunate enough to design a company that had neither the poisons nor the plastics. And um, when go back to when you started to look for this product, um, uh, this organic product, and I want to point out something you told me the first time we met on a, on a Zoom call, which was that tampons are over 100 years old. Basically, right. it's like a very old product, right? And and is it essentially yeah. unchanged? Is it is it you know up to this point? Is it is it been? Uh, if we went back a hundred years, would it would it be recognizable as the same product? Uh, it, it's changed a little bit, um, but unfortunately, the iteration hasn't changed too much. Or when it has changed, it's changed without necessarily the consideration of health. <laughs> or the planet. So, you know, it's changed in right. terms of let's make this smaller and more convenient, um, but not really. Uh, what has changed and the materials that have been used. So I would imagine, you know, when period products really started and tampons and pads were more commercial, they probably used simple cotton. And at that time, there weren't toxins too much in how cotton was farmed, in how cotton was put together. You know, it was pretty simple. Um, but as time had progressed, you had synthetics and man-made materials that were cheaper and bleaching became mm -hmm. more chemical-driven. So titanium dioxides, um, synthetics and everything came to form the basis of these products. And then chemicals were added to hold fluid. So then you have what's called a super absorbent that's in a lot of pads and tampons. It's a chemical that actually traps more fluid. Um, and there are studies to show it also may create the body or help the body create more fluid. So there's a, it's like the sugar addiction kind of thing, you know, cereals with sugar yeah. that makes you eat more cereals, you know. So yeah. uh, we're in a sense going back to really – essentials when it comes to certified organic cotton and, and farming in the world and manufacturing has got to a stage where now these materials need to be certified so we know what's in them. Uh, but there are not mm. many period products that use organic materials and when they do, they use maybe partly organic. So you'll, you'll see on a package the word organic. Oh, this is great. But when you read closely, it might have something organic in it or it might have a cotton, but it might not be GMO-free and it might not be toxin-free. And then it probably is not plastic-free. And, and uh, it's an unregulated. Is, is organic is, by, at this point, in 2023, the most meaningless word, word in, the, in Webster's Dictionary. I mean, it, it just doesn't mean anything. It could be anything, right? Right. Well, I mean, by definition, everything's organic, right? We all, we all, everything's derived from an organism at some point in time. So, right, yes, right. and for an unregulated industry, which it's crazy to think that period products are not regulated, totally Is that unregulated. True? Industry. There's, there's uh -huh. no wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop the presses. So, <laughs> so, so tampons. Nobody vets tampons. Nobody looks at what's in them. Nobody. Nobody asked the obvious questions about that product? Correct, correct. You do have to be FDA regulated as a facility, which means you need to list with the FDA and, and they come out and look at the facility. You know, the facility itself has to exist and have to have all the regulations and safety regulations in place. So there's regulations in that sense. 
but a manufacturer can manufacture any kind of tampon uh, or any kind of pad and, and you can import it. Um, so there are fees <laughs> that you have to pay, but there's no one that says, hey, what is in this product? That's, is that's this amazing okay? Because aren't they, aren't they kind of obsessed with that question and just about everything else? I'm talking about the FDA. I mean, they're gonna yeah. they're gonna need approvals for any kind of new drug or or you know food stuff. So that is that is kind of shocking. So I want to go back to when you you had your problem and you're looking at for a more organic, a healthier alternative. We're, let's talk about alternatives to um, you know the traditional um, uh, mass manufactured tampon. Was there anything out there at that point? So this is what about five years ago, maybe ten years ago? Yeah, about six years ago. Yeah, there were a couple. So we noticed that there were a couple. They weren't on regular supply, so often empty shelves. And mm. then when we looked into it further, mm. uh, a lot of the organic products that started appearing still had these toxins in them. And it's actually those toxins, that titanium dioxide, um, that has been plenty of studies done and linking it not just to endometriosis but a but a host of hormonal disruption in infertility as well um the whole system i mean if you're putting something in your reproductive system that has a chemical in it it can't just go unnoticed by the body you know it's like if you're eating a ton of crappy food your body goes what is happening and reacts you know it's the same you know the question of what you're putting in your body has a very visceral, um, you know, place in the discussion about tampons, obviously. I mean, I want to point out for those of you who are not watching on video, I am, I am a guy um, and I'm a guy who knows nothing about this. I I mean, I don't, you know, as a guy, it's like, we are completely clueless as a breed about stuff like this and typically don't even want to like, think about it, you know, to be honest. Right. We don't even want to think about it, but you know, um, uh, it's a totally it's a totally different game, and it just seems like it's such an obvious target for disruption. That's what kind of amazes me is like, like you're telling me, <coughs> you know, with all the you know brilliant w- women and founders and all the women and men for that reason who sit around trying to think up things to disrupt. Like this didn't come up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, well, let, let me, there are. <laughs> there are a few other brands out there who are who, we, we're all doing something you know and we're all doing it yeah. to a certain degree um yeah. for us what's important for our company is to be totally transparent to only use certified organic cotton and no other ingredient uh and to yeah. not use any plastic to not bend when it's like oh well this is a bioplastic well that's still a plastic we have bio yeah. wraps that are possible that's different so you know even speaking with manufacturers you know they might say wow look Jen we've developed this new product and I'm like great and then like we put it in a plastic applicator I'm like why <laughs> why would you do that you know it, it doesn't make sense to me no. and they've wrapped it in plastic in a plastic wrap so for us it's very important to not have that. And that's just our personal mission. That's what Tampon Tribe is about. And same with period underwear. There's a huge lawsuit going on at the moment against another manufacturer, another retailer, and they have PFAs. So, you know, micro petroleums and microplastics in their period underwear. 
And they've claimed for years that they didn't, but they do. Someone tested it. They have them, um, you know, and now, now it's all kind of coming out and people are like, but I trusted you guys. And we take that trust very seriously. Um, and so our mission is to, to just make sure that everything we put out there is, uh, is of the best quality and can make a difference you know if you're going through any kind of fertility or any kind of endometriosis or just a human that doesn't want to put poisons on your body you know this is important um and this is it's funny you mentioned men because a lot of men go through an infertility journey together you know and you're looking at everything then people are looking at foods and fabrics and cleaners but they might be missing something that's very easy such as a period product you know and that, that could be is there evidence that can lead to infertility? Yeah, uh, not necessarily lead to infertility, although there, I'm sure there are those studies, but disrupt hormones, disrupt oh. the endocrine system. Yes. So I, I don't, we don't make any claims oh, ourselves. An, an, an indirect effect. They are, is, yeah, they are pretty interchangeable. Effect. Yeah, yeah. Sure, and there are, sure. there's a lot of research uh, available just by googling that. Um, as I say, we don't make claims ourselves; it's not for us to do. We just create a product that sure. is the safest as possible, that that doesn't have anything in it that could lead to any kind of disruption. And I and what a great name you have, Jennifer Eden, to be doing something so elemental. Um, Thank you. Uh, in, in business. Now, let me ask you this: Walk us through. You have this idea. Uh, how many years ago did you, you and your partner, come up with the idea? Uh, seven years ago, we came. Well, six and a half years ago, oh. we came up with the idea. Okay. Yeah. So, did you start on it right away? Start working on it? Yeah, we 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 started in a couple of ways, actually. First of all, we uh, we're serial entrepreneurs, so we have a lot of ideas, and not not all of them are that great, you know. <laughs> so we we first of all. <laughs> yeah. It's good we to have started. A lot of well, we, you know, ideas are one thing. We started kicking it around and, and spoke to some people very close to us, um, our families, namely, who are, are very good sounding boards and probably the most honest people you're going to come up against, right? Um, and when they're like, wait a second, this is a good idea, you're like, hold on a sec, let's explore that further. So we had the idea, um, and our next step, of course, was to see if we could manufacture it. Because first of all, we couldn't quite believe this hadn't been done already. And we didn't think that we could make a totally organic and plastic free product at the same price point as the other products. So that was our first uh, area of investigation. Could this be done? What price can we sell it at? When we found out that we could do all of that, which I was quite surprised at, that no one had done it before and that it could be done at a certain mm -hmm. level. We then decided to see if anyone wanted to buy the product. So we did that via um, an Indiegogo campaign. So we started an Indiegogo campaign actually before we had produced, before we'd said anything in production. We had samples, you know, we had enough to, to sample and demonstrate and what have you. And we're like, let's see if anyone actually wants to buy this before mm -hmm. we start. And we did that just with tampons to begin with. And, and within the first couple of weeks, people were like, well, what about pads and what about liners? And we thought, well, does anyone even use these products? Yeah, a lot of people use those products. So straight away in that first testing, we added new products to the lineup straight away. So quickly oh, yeah, we grew okay. what was it? Yeah, a tampon company that very quickly added pads and liners within that Indiegogo campaign parameter. 
So once we'd had the first wow. sold, and, and I forget the exact numbers, but you know, several hundred had sold, and we thought, great, this is a good, a good barometer. Let's get a basic website on Wix. Let's pre-launch and see what we can sell. Um, and very quickly we became that. That was probably in August when we had the idea and started it. We had the Indiegogo campaign. By December, we had a website, simple website that I did myself, and we were listed by BuzzFeed as the number two, you know, most useful subscription box to have. And then we saw everything change from there. Uh, that was, but, but we really went step by step. What did you raise on Indiegogo? How much? Oh, gosh, it was probably just a few thousand dollars of sales. That's that's what we were trying to do. Just it wasn't about an equity raise. It yeah. Yeah. It was more just testing the product. Like, hey, we can make a few thousand dollars in sales by not doing much. I mean, we had people that we knew and loved that were going out there and we had promotions going on and I started to pitch. That's the other thing I did. I was in Santa Monica and I thought, you know, I don't really know much about pitching, but I'm pretty sure I can put this, something together to just gauge this. And I got a poster made at Staples and had a little booth that, you know, all these, these very, very basic things. And we had people come up to us and I was speaking with investors already. And I'm like, wow, just to get that interest was just enough for us to say, I think we might be onto something here. So at least to like, try you know, MV, MVP, proof of concept, um, those sorts of things. So, um, so let me jump ahead just a little bit. Where are you right now in terms of sales, in terms of scope? Um, and are you are you focused in the U.S.? Are you in other countries as well? We're focused in the U.S. We do sell a lot into Canada and we do sell internationally, but we, we've only just touched the market here. Uh, in December, we hit um, a $2 million run rate. So we're really proud of, of that. So the company's grown about 486% average year on year, uh, even during COVID, which was great. We had some changes during COVID. That's another story. But uh, we stayed so alive. Rate, which was- I'm sorry. Forgive me for interrupting, but just so I understand, the run rate, um, you're using that phrase to, to, to describe monthly revenues? Correct. So you had $2 million in monthly revenues. Um, you just have no, as, an annual, as an annual run rate, as an annual, run annual rate. Run rate. So. Okay. So, okay, great. So that's, that's impressive. And, um, um, and how is this year going? How does this year look? How does 2023 stack up? Great. Um, we've hit it. We, we've set ourselves um, a revenue target of uh, 6 million um, that we are very confident we'll be able to reach. Uh, we're doing that primarily in the first two quarters of this year by focusing on B2B. So we have an omni-channel model. So we sell direct to consumer, we sell B2B, and we sell wholesale into retail and also on Amazon. And wow. all of those channels, yeah, all of those channels have different metrics and different cost of acquisition. Um, uh, we're focusing right now on our B2B. So we have, um, because of our plastic-free mission and our organic mission, um, we've secured some really fantastic accounts. Um, so we're in a lot of businesses. We're Such in as? Facebook, Such Pizza, as? Postmates. 
uh, sorry, such as Facebook, Pixar, Postmates. Um, we're in hotels, Fairmont, Four Seasons. Um, we're in Devil's Thumb, Blackberry Farm. We sell into retail. In retail, we're in New Seasons, New Leaf, uh, HEB Central Market, and about 250 boutiques. So, But the B2B is a really interesting play for us. Uh, it's very important. We're the only company that's plastic-free and organic, so a lot of companies and hotels have signed on to plastic-free charters. And not and only... It's a similar, similar price point, you said. So what does it cost? What's the price point for some of your products? Uh, it depends if you're looking at like a bundle for a consumer is about $9 a month. Um, for a B2B, it's different. You're buying by the box of 500 so it just depends on, on, yeah, it just depends on. But you're comparable on, to the competition in terms of pricing, the pricing? Yeah, pretty similar. comparable. A little more expensive in the B2B market, but when it comes to maintaining and attaining sustainability, there is the budget for that. Uh, it is more, obviously, totally certified organic cotton is a lot more expensive and going plastic-free is more expensive, um, but not that have much more expensive. Have you, have you gone? Uh, have you have you tried the Western hotel chain? Yeah, we're actually in a couple of Westerns. They're all under Marriott, and so we actually spoke with Marriott International uh, last week. Uh, they've got a huge sustainability push. They've got a plan called Three Hundred and Sixty, and so yeah, we're speaking with a lot of the hotels at the moment, and we're onboarding maybe three to five hotels a week, um, and we're now speaking wow. with larger groups as well. You know, groups that have well Marriott international is 8,000, but, uh, you know, even some of the, the Fairmonts, we were onboarding nearly all of North America. Um, uh, yeah. So it's very exciting and it's really exciting for us because we can make a huge impact, not just from a business point of view, but from an impact and mission point of view. That's in, I mean, I think you get to that stage in your career and your life where you think, okay, yeah, we can make money. Sure. Everyone can make money, but can we actually impact and make a difference? And I'm not being facetious, yeah. you know, in a, in, a, in a solid way. You know, can we, can we get rid of some of these plastics that are totally unnecessary? Can we improve access to good quality products for everybody? Can we give back? It's important. It's not just lip service. To us, it's really important. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And your timing for that philosophy is, is couldn't be better. Tell me what the product line, other than the, you know, the tampons and, and what, what is the, I guess what I'm getting at is what is the potential of this product line? Like what, what do you foresee yourself manufacturing or what are you already manufacturing we haven't talked about? Yeah, sure. So um, our core products are the tampons, pads, and liners, and, and that's pretty cool for most companies. Uh, we also do menstrual cups, and the reusables in the period space is actually growing at a greater rate than just the period space in general. So reusables mean menstrual cups, period underwear, and reusable pads. So our menstrual and, cups are a little yep. And so how so, how big, let's stick with tampons just because it's easier. How big is the tampon market in the U.S. and then worldwide? Yeah, well, the period, they don't really break it down by individual product. The period products market, market in the world is $68.7 billion, uh, $7.2 billion in the U.S. alone. So you're in a, a nice situation. Well, I should ask, have, have you um, spawned any competitors um, in this space since you started? Yeah, there are competitors in the space. Um, we all have different offerings, however. So um, for us, we're still standalone and a bit of a market leader when it comes to the 
only organic and only plastic free across our whole range. That's how we're very different. And that's what's enabling us to secure these large accounts. Um, but there are competitors. It's a huge market. You know, it's like sometimes people say, oh, it's, wow, you got a lot of competition. I'm like, well, there's five companies. <laughs> when you look at walk down the bread aisle and see how many breads there are, how many T-shirts there are, you know, I don't yeah. know. It's funny when, when people, I think because people are so used to period products having one. So suddenly there are five and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's funny when you think about it. And of course it's sold everywhere, but also in supermarkets. But if you think about how, you know, you go in to buy ice cream or, or bread or anything, um, you will be faced in the modern age with every conceivable permutation. Whereas with yep. this one, for whatever reason, why, why hasn't it happened with, with period products? What's held that I don't back? Know. I don't know. I mean, the barriers to entry now are really hard. But, but six years ago, not so much. The barriers to entry now are difficult, especially in the organic space. There are no factories producing, taking on new clients right now. And in fact, oh, we've had two words, of the... If you, to, if you wanted to do it now, you'd be out of luck. They don't have capacity. Totally. And you were about to say um, something? Yeah. yeah we've, I so, mean, it's even got to a point where we've had, we've had two very large um, pharmacy brands uh, that we've, we're speaking with at the moment who are asking us about producing their private label because they can't, because there's no more space. And I'm like, for them to be reaching out to us, I'm like, hi, <laughs> sure we can do that for you. But it's, um, it's an interesting barometer. I mean, there was a tampon shortage last year. And so I'm not quite sure what happened, but it seemed like one of the largest manufacturers did they, I don't know what they, what mistake they made, missed, I don't know how, because I'd imagine these massive companies have a very well-managed production line and people yeah, in the everybody, warehouse. Everybody, everybody had supply chain problems, so it may have been in their supply chain, you know, possibly. Yeah, we didn't have supply chain problems. Uh-huh. Well, that's because you're true blue, you know, that's <laughs> you're No, I mean, it's also very different. We're smaller, of course, it's different, but um. It was more than that. It was more than supply chain issues. It was a, it was an error somewhere. And what that did cause was a huge shortfall in the market for three months. And so then a lot of us came in, the smaller brands, and started picking up market share. So great for us. Um, and, and someone dropped the ball somewhere because we, we all are under the same similar supply chain conditions when it comes to raw materials, when it comes to packaging, when it comes to shipping. And um, so whatever happened, um, it really also made people look around and think, Hey, what yeah. else is out there? So, yeah. And, and um, so when you, um, so obviously this is, this is going well, it would seem um, what, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? Do you worry about the supply chain? Do you worry about um, Procter and Gamble deciding to go full bore into organic uh, period products? What, what do you worry about? Yeah, not really the latter. I don't think it was in their interest to do that. They're, they're looking more at acquiring companies who have that. Yeah. Our, our biggest supply chain, and, and I'm sorry, our biggest um, cons not concern, but something that's always on your mind, and I think this is probably the same for every consumer packaged good, is cash flow. 
So when you're in the CPG market, you have to purchase inventory and it has to be in advance. So even if you're doing large purchase orders, you need to outlay that cash. So it's always looking at keeping a positive, and we are cash flow positive and we've got a positive EBITDA, but is that enough to cover you know, that cash flow when it comes to inventory. And that's something you manage on a daily basis because inventory can run low very, very quickly. So how then are you managing that while still maintaining a profit by looking at your cost of goods? Um, that's that's the largest issue for us at all times is always maintaining is, that cash flow. And is that your purview or is that your partner? Who worries? Who, who's in charge of that? Uh, probably both of us, probably both. We take both of that okay. on, but we're really small companies. So um, I think that that probably concerns both of us. We need to uh, keep the company very solvent and and have that cash flow. And that, that's probably my role more. Gabby does a lot of the operations, um, but we'll have that conversation nearly on a daily basis. When we're looking at our runway and we're like, okay, we've got eight months with this, but what if we, you know, we're always juggling. What do we do with our current raise? That's going to take us to 18 months. Okay, fine. But when it gets to so, that uh, seven. Yeah. So harder or easier than running a Brazilian restaurant or a uh, contemporary restaurant in China? <laughs> Very different. <laughs> <laughs> you miss those days? Never miss those uh, days? Yeah. Sometimes the restaurant, the restaurants were fantastic. And, and, you know, we had a fantastic restaurants we had a group of them and and Gabby was the front person for that and she's a restaurateur I come more from the marketing and business side although I have done a lot of hospitality too um yeah. the same the same things there you've got supply and food waste and costs and and operating an internet uh, we were a foreign-owned enterprise in China that brings its mm -hmm. own issues um but a great way to MBA on the ground you know everything we'd learned in yeah. our business lives gets really tested there you get really pushed as an entrepreneur you're so solving a problem an hour yeah. um, but we like to think and, and we see it that that international experience that we've had and I've lived in a few different countries and so has Gab we bring to this business so I think that's enabled us to stay ahead of the supply chain to be on top of our shipments to have that open mind. And also in terms of expansion, looking at where we're going to go next, we have that international experience and no one else in our sector does right now in the other founding teams. So I, I think our age also hopefully adds to the experience, you know, um, and we don't have ego left in the, in the you mean, equation. You mean, because you're, you mean because you're so young? Yes, I'm 35, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah me, me too. In a, in a uh, but we life. love that. I think I think that brings you look at business differently after you've you know had twenty five plus years experience in business. Yeah, you can you can you should be better at it. Not everyone is, but you know, arguably you should be better. Well, listen, right. uh, Jennifer, I want to thank you um, uh, for being a guest on the Accelerator. Um, our podcast is on all the major platforms. Uh, please subscribe and rate, and uh, uh, tell your friends if possible. Um, and you can also find us on YouTube. So uh, make sure to, to check us out. And um, I want to thank today a terrific guest, uh, Jennifer Eden from Tampon Tribe, which from the sound of it is sort of knocking it out of the park. And uh, we congratulate you on that, uh, Jennifer. And we thank you for being um, our guest today. My pleasure, Michael. It was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to The Accelerator. And as I like to say, we'll be back with another podcast before you know it.